Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thank you so much for being here. So today on the show, we are doing a deep dive, a dive in which is deep into stamp design, stamp design. Okay, now hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you go, stamp design, what what is he talking about? Hold, just hold on. Because the guest on my show today has been producing incredible stamp designs with his team um, for, uh, for a long time. And there's been a lot of them, a lot of real awesome stamps. Now, when, when I say stamp design, you might picture something with a Canadian flag or whatever, not something, not maybe just something that's not sexy. Maybe stamp design isn't sexy to you. But I encourage you to just sort of open your eyes to the potential possibilities. Just like sideline your expectations and your assumptions and just listen because the deep dive project on here is about the Apollo 11 anniversary and the stamp that was created for this, which has like inks that react with blue lights, not from like a, a, a counterfeit prevention, although it does do that, but also included in design elements. A, a stamp that not only was created, yes, to work on envelopes and to mail them out, but a stamp design that was created to commemorate an event, an incredible event, but also for the collectors, designing something really specifically for stamp collectors and the hidden gems in the design that you can put in there just for those collectors. You can do some incredible things. So I don't think I've even said it, but today my guest is Matthew Clark. He is the founder and creative director of Subplot Design out of Vancouver, British Columbia, and they are putting out incredible work, not only amazing packaging um, and other print collateral, but a wicked design and lots of wicked stamp design. So our deep dive, like I said, was the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 stamp. There is some awesome elements of this design. And if you've never thought about what is the process to making a stamp, Matthew here in this episode gives us the full story. So ladies and gentlemen, sit back, kick back, relax. Don't close your eyes because you might be driving, but uh, this is a gem. This is an awesome episode. And I was really excited to chat with Matthew about this and to bring this deep dive to you because I didn't know anything about what went into stamp design. I knew they were printed, of course, but how and what and where and what's the process and all of that. So this is an awesome one. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to it now. My guest, Matthew Clark. Cue the music. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand, 
and all the key decisions in between. So, let's talk ink on paper. Matthew, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm really well, thank you. Awesome. Good to connect with you again. I had a blast chatting on our Quickie Podcast episode, and I couldn't wait to get you on the show to dive deep into this print project. And I don't, I'm not going to name what this print project is yet, but the project. <laughs> the project. I like that. Very yeah, secret. exactly. So to kick things uh-huh. off, um, for those who haven't heard the Quickie Podcast episode, and they should have, but just in case, tell the listeners about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So my name is Matthew Clark, and I'm the founder and creative director of Subplot Design. We're a small group in Vancouver, um, and we do a lot of print design, uh, a lot of big branding projects, and a ton of packaging. So we live in very much a print world. Um, And uh, I am absolutely a certifiable print geek. Um, I love everything about it. I love inks. I love the smells. I love how they inks work together. Um, And, you know, it... uh, Everything from printing T-shirts in high school to uh, to doing printmaking at UBC, mm-hmm. it's like I've just been print, print, print. Um, so it's something we, we get to do in the, at Subplot, which is fantastic. That's awesome. So you have lived through that, but now you're also in a unique position being in that founder role and you're, you're looking at younger designers, you're seeing portfolios, you're going to grad shows and seeing work. Where, what age do you think that drop-off is of the print lover? the one that just loves print, wants to create only print and wants the smells and wants the feels. Mm. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I I have found recently more uh, younger, uh, fresh grads having a bit more print about them. Awesome. I don't know if it's, uh, it may be part of sort of the maker movement um, where people are rediscovering silkscreen printing or CNC cutting or just things that are much more tangible. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not getting these 100% digital portfolios anymore. Cool. Uh, I'm seeing a bit of a mix. I'm seeing some interest. Now, <clears throat> interest and knowledge, there's a, <laughs> there's a f- very wide gap between. So what, what, what still is the case is I'm not really seeing kids come out of school with a ton of print experience or mm-hmm. print knowledge. They kind of think CMYK, they've kind of gotten that far and they know they can print it out on their Epson and do great mock-ups, but they don't know how to get into all of it. Um, And so we generally do have to do quite a bit of teaching and training when we get new designers um, and really let them know how print works. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's really encouraging to hear that there's a lot more interest around it. I agree with you sort of there's a, there's a point of where the knowledge drops off but the interest, you know, if you don't have an interest, there's not going to be that pursuit of knowledge. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's really way more people um, interested in packaging, for instance, mm-hmm. um, packaging. When I started um, was kind of too retail, too schlocky. You know, you think of a shreddies box and, and, a, and, a, and a, you know, a bad shampoo design and you think, yeah. oh, that's packaging. That's pretty hack. Yeah. And so <laughs> that I found and not shoulders. a lot of designers. <laughs> yeah. Really wanted to go there. Yeah. You know, um, but because of where packaging's gone, everything from wine to craft beer to to, you know, hipster beard balms or something, yeah. uh, I think you see it around a lot more. Man, I think I think really now that you mention it, like the point at which I started seeing 
more and more designers interested in label design and shrink sleeve and stuff was that craft beer movement. Like that really lit the fire of creativity in print, I feel. It did. And and it really changed with the whole uh, um, sort of renaissance of cans and the ability to do shrink sleeves on cans. Suddenly it became possible for uh, beer manufacturers to do smaller print runs. Mm -hmm. They could have an inventory of labels and not have to actually print 10,000 cans Yep. Which, you know, getting rid of 10,000 cans is a bit of a problem if that SKU is not selling. Yep. Um, so they're able to do it with shrink sleeves. Shrink sleeves are way easier in terms of production to set up. Mm-hmm. Setting up a can artwork is wildly technical and you have to get pre-press help to do it. Yeah. Um, whereas a shrink sleeve is CMYK, press print, you're done. Um, so it's it's uh, it has really changed. Um, and I think also just a lot of... Um, kind of craft products out there mm-hmm. um you know uh blame the hipsters but it's kind of <laughs> uh, you know various products all have quite beautiful packaging and i think blogs like um die line yep. blogs like uh lovely package have also really elevated the art and design of of packaging 100 percent, i couldn't agree more um, so Matthew, what is your earliest memory of print or packaging maybe something from your childhood or your teens yeah, I was thinking about that. You know, I was I was very unaware of design and what design was. I it wasn't really in the vernacular. It wasn't part of pop culture when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So I veered a lot more towards art. And so my my earliest memories of print are really like drawing books yep. and um, co- comic books and and graphic picture books. And I just always was so drawn to illustration and and drawing so I could learn more. And so I'd often pick up a book and then I'd try to emulate it, pick up a book on, you know, drawing live figures and emulate mm-hmm. it. And so I think I, I had a lot of print, um, but it was all about the art, all about the drawing. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, I would buy car drawing books, you know, books that teach you how to draw cars. And it came with... Um, like 10 or 20 sheets of what they called onion skin back in the day where it was like super thin and yes. you could trace out these cars and I would always trace them and I'd pull them away and they would look awesome. I'm like, okay, now I'm going to freehand this. And then it, it looks like I did it with my left hand when I wasn't <laughs> yeah, tracing, right. right? So that's, I totally remember buying those books specifically to try and learn to draw cars in yeah. the onion skin days. And it's interesting. Uh, the corollary of that now is both of my kids uh, they, um, requisition my iPad as soon as I walk in the door. Nice. Um, and they draw and procreate. Nice. Um, and both of them, they're, they're, uh, nine and, uh, sort of 11 and, th- 11 and 13. Yeah. And both of them can draw amazingly, but they kind of do the onion skin thing. They bring in a drawing, yep. tint it back, yep. trace part of it over, and then start doing fills and effects and glows and shadows and all this kind of stuff. And it's wild. It's yep. just the, uh, the digital format of what I used to do. Yeah, that's exactly what I do, and that's the end of my skill level there. Once I remove that background <laughs> image, uh, it's, it just gets dicey. Yeah. <laughs> you just never know what you run into. That's, awesome. that's so cool. Um, now, what about recently, Matthew? Any recent interactions with printer packaging that you really enjoyed or you know sat back? Yeah, well, it, we were talking about craft beer, so we should do it again. Yes. Um, I turned 50 this August. Congratulations. Thank 50 you. years yeah. young. Pretty, pretty great. The beard tells the story. Uh, <laughs> And my wife bought me 50, 50 cans of craft beer. Nice. You can crush them the same day? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm just that kind of guy. But it was great. So I have this incredible array of uh, all these labels. It's, you know, Beautiful. every which way. Great labels, uh, me- mediocre ones. But honestly, like the competition's so fierce um, that everyone's kind of aiming to outdo each other. And mm-hmm. there's just some great labels out there. So. I, yeah, and that, that of course, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sucker for craft beer and I'm a sucker for the label. So I'm mm. really terrible when I go into the liquor store and have to choose because I'm, I'm kind of buying for, you know, exactly. Labels. Oh, that label <laughs> looks great. Oh, that one's great too. And all of a sudden you're walking out with a grocery cart and everybody's questioning your habits. Exactly. That's what it is. <laughs> you know, when you think about, you know, craft beer and the local scene and the design, it's unique how each brewery has their really individual style. Because I'm the two that really jump to mind, in, and they're both very contrasting, is like the Parallel 49 look, where it's all sort of like grungy, heavy illustration. Yep. And then you've got like the steel and oak on the opposite side, which sure. is more clean and, and solid colors with knockouts and parallel lines and things like that. So, you know, each sort of assigning, and I guess that's along with their brand, like that's what their brand is. So that's the category they stay in. Yeah. And it's interesting, um, you know, we've worked in the beer space a few times. And uh, what's interesting, when you take snapshots of the industry, you really do see trends. So there really is, you know, there is this minimal hipster clean trend that's that's really really prevalent everywhere from steel and oak to 33 acres and uh even even some other brands that are kind of really toning it down um parallel 49 is still fairly unique because it's so outlandish there was a time when that was the norm when a lot of people were wacky and crazy and using (laughs) funny crazy names and and Parallel 49 is kind of stuck with it, yep. uh, which is interesting. So, yeah, if you're if you're a new craft beer company wanting to make it in there, you really have to understand where you fit because um, it is it's definitely noisy. Great point. And, and again, the importance of that label or that shrink sleeve being bang on brand and really attractive, like it's a complicated scene in that beer cooler. It really is. Right. And it's quite intimidating to, you know, the, the diehard craft beer people love it. Yeah. But kind of that one step back um, slightly into mainstream, that cooler is very intimidating. And so mm-hmm. that's why they kind of still walk down the aisle, the other aisle, and pick up a Sleeman's or a Okanagan Spring or something like that because it's a little less intimidating. So even yeah. that's an interesting idea. How could you be in the craft beer cooler but attract those guys and be a little bit less – uh, intimidating. Yep, a hundred percent. Good point. A little bit less intimidating, where it's more, you know, it's, when you think about a beer label, like how do you as a brewery be more approachable? Mm. Like that's a, just a unique thought process of, of yeah. answering that question. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you where do you look for creative inspiration or or stock ideas or things like that when you're planning a print project and you're trying to decide? what paper or substrate to print this item on? And do we introduce some Pantone colors? Do we, you know, do a foil? Like, how do you make those decisions? Yeah. Well, I mean, once we get, I, I try not to um, look around too much when we're doing the initial concept and development mm-hmm. stage, just because I want it to be a bit more pure. Mm-hmm. Um, don't want to be overly steered one way or another, but yeah, once you get past that and you're looking at developing and how this might print, um, we have a great library at the office for one that we keep really well stocked from the paper merchants, from nice. the printers. Um, we've kept 
We have tons of folders labeled inspiration, samples. We've got annual reports here and labels there. And so we have a huge library. And then I just like to also, um, you know, get into the magazines and, and mm-hmm. take a look. Now, you can't always see necessarily print effects in the magazines, but you can get a sense of, of, of some of these things. And, you know, I would say Brenda at Spicer's Paper is probably our, our biggest influence because mm-hmm. she's the one that comes in with these fantastic printing samples showing gold on a black paper with a spot teal and a varnish Ooh, and yeah. you know like it just makes you makes you happy yeah, exactly <laughs> that's what that's what it's supposed to do right just make you feel something and that's the what's so great about print is that it, it can create that emotional intangible experience Yes, undeniably, people treat print differently. They turn it over, they rub it with their hand, mm-hmm. they look at it up close. It's it's remarkable, and that's not just designers at all. I mean, average people just do that. Um, and I think uh, I think that's that's print's place in the world yeah. is to live in a more tangible way and to do things that simply are not possible digitally. Hundred percent. Yeah, you can't do that with an Instagram ad. No, it's tough until they come up with haptic screens or something where like you could feel the texture of, you know, the, the, uh, shark skin boots or something. Oh man. Yeah. I want, <laughs> I want this ad to have the soft touch feel. So when they're scrolling, that'd be right. absolutely bananas. Ooh, that would be wild. <laughs> um, Matthew, I want to kick this back in time a little bit here. And I want to hear about the first print project that you were ever a part of the first one you ever produced, whether that's graduation final year, whether that's, you know, first professional job in your career mode, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, I, the one that came to me, it's, it's not my first ever, but it's my first big one. It's the first one that I thought, Oh my goodness, I might actually be, be a designer now. Um, I was a junior over at characters, which was part of uh, DDB Canada. Yeah. And, uh, I got given a job that kind of got passed around the studio a lot, and that was um, Sunripe's annual Apple Month. Nice. And uh, and for the most part, you know, you 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 do some displays, you do some POS, and and uh, you you'd put them in you know every shopping uh, grocery store in the country, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly Western Canada. And it was interesting. I got given this project that a lot of people sort of just got her done. But I was just, you know, it was my break. It was a time to do it. I was so excited. I end up coming up with this idea of actually erecting um, apple stands, you know, like wooden slatted apple stands in the stores, all all like it would be in the Okanagan. Yeah. Um, but we couldn't build out of wood because, of course, we needed, you know, hundreds and thousands of these. Yep. Um, so we actually hired an illustrator to do, to paint a roadside stand and he did weathered wood and, and, uh, kind of hammered nails and all this stuff. And we constructed, um, got artwork, built it, erected it in stores. And I just remember thinking, wow, like this idea that print wasn't just a little booklet or pamphlet that I'd done, but I got to do this print piece that popped up in, in, in a store and was like a live three-dimensional interactive thing. And, uh, that's, that's what got me interested, I think, in going into more retail, more consumer goods packaging mm-hmm. because it was tangible and it was something you could, yeah, see it and hold. So you guys printed uh, hundreds of these things just like on corrugated <laughs> yeah. and they came with instructions on how to boop, that's boop, right. boop, boop, it was like pop a, them up it in was store. like a giant little puzzle and each panel of the booth. And then it came with 
round tubes to hold it up and yep. it came with a roof and uh, and then all the pos uh had been painted by the same guy pascal malelli and uh he did this beautiful painting that became the pos so it was That's uh cool. wow it was a really a 360 little campaign man what an amazing way to interact with a consumer of the product and to stand out and get attention um i i can imagine like if that was in the days of instagram it would just be all over the place it's funny. Yes, it, it was. It was very. Yeah, it was very viral that way. It really could be kind of. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Interacted with. Awesome. Yeah. So that's going from like a super exciting, fun, happy story. <laughs> I now want to ask you about if you've ever been a part of a printed project that didn't turn out as you had hoped, didn't go well, went sideways or something like that. Can you tell us about that project and your experience with it? Yeah, you know. I think in, in more general terms, there was a time uh, early in my career, and it was it was partially the culture of where I was, mm-hmm. where um, work was very fragmented. So the designer would only design, the production artist would only pr- do the production art, the producer mm-hmm. would only produce, the producer was the one who would pick the printer, who would send it to the printer, who would get it printed. Mm-hmm. And the designer had nothing to do with that process, had nothing to do with um, even picking stocks sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was because we were a subset of an agency that we kind of had a, a, a non-print specific kind of kind of feel. Mm-hmm. And so I was constantly disappointed by projects that we did. Every one of them to me didn't live up to the expectations. And when we changed that, the designer took it all the way through. And then the designer attended press checks, did any press tests, and the designers you know, signature was on the line that it was right at the press check instead of the producers. Mm-hmm. As soon as we did that, it wildly changed uh, how successful our print projects were. Oh, a hundred percent. Because like, as soon as you mentioned that the designer stopped at the design and didn't even have in, you know involvement in picking substrates or finishes, like right there, your design should cater to that. Yeah, quite frankly, if you're not doing from the absolute beginning to the absolute end, you're not designing like Mm -hmm. that's to me, the definition of design includes production, paper specking, going to the press check, doing every little last piece and, Mm -hmm. and still the bigger agencies still split it up and, and kind of don't delegate, uh, they'll get it to more people. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a huge believer. Uh, we even did a project recently. It was a packaging project that was being printed in China. Mm-hmm. And uh, my business partner, Roy, had to get on a plane and uh, go go see that through and make sure it was uh, it was on brand because they were printing so much stuff. Yep. There just was no no room for, uh, you know, error there. No, 100%. I, that's really interesting to hear that because I haven't really talked to anybody who's had that sort of level of interaction with an overseas project before. Mm. Um, what was that process like? Was there was there communication concerns? There like was it or was it like a pretty straightforward process? And well, it's interesting. Uh, I think um, some of the processes of printing offshore, which we which we really try to do as little as we can. But the processes have changed a little bit. Back in the old days, um, you would send your file, uh, pray, and hope <laughs> yes. to get it back right. I, amazingly, though, it was right 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the printers in China are very skilled. And so you would get this product for less money, looked great. And if there are a few errors in there, no big deal. I'll do better next time. Yeah. But 
in North America, we've lived by a different process of doing print tests, test runs, yep. right? There's a whole testing process and then it gets printed. And so that gives you assurance along the way. Mm-hmm. And I found that the, the printers in China are starting to think a little bit more that way, particularly mm-hmm. if they have a big presence here. So we were working with a local group that has, you know, a whole office uh, here in Vancouver. Got it. Um, so we could talk to them. Communication was really, really good. And they were up for doing tests and they were up for hosting someone for a press check. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a bit of a change of culture and a change of how that work gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, certainly domestically, we go to every press check uh, for sure to, to make sure. Awesome. Yeah, it's an important part of the process. And really, like you were saying, it is a, an important piece of the design process. Your work as a designer is not complete until the job is done and finished and ready to deliver. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Nice point. So I've been really excited about this episode for what we're about to get into next. That's the deep dive onto a specific project that you and your team at Subplot were a part of. Um, And all I know about it is that it's for stamp design and mail. And when I say stamp, I don't mean rubber stamps. We're talking (laughs) like Canada Post. Yeah. What is it? What's the term? Philately, philatelics. Philatelics. Yeah, it's it's a good one. (laughs) That is a good one. So I basically just want to open this up to you, like from start to finish, in terms of how to quote a job like this, how to win a job, who prints a job like this, what does it cost to print a job like this, if you're able to share that. And, and what you went through. Tell me about this project, Mike. Sure, yeah. We've been doing, uh, we've been lucky enough to be working with Canada Post for about uh, a little bit over 10 years, about 12 years. Um, we've done a lot of issues with them. Um, we originally, when we set up, we targeted some some uh, promotional materials to Canada Post. Nice. Uh, because we had, my business partner had not done any when he was in the UK, but he knew of designers who did stamps, and we thought, oh gosh, wouldn't it be amazing to do this? Yeah. Um, we targeted them. We never heard back. We never heard any people, so we sort of thought we never made it. Um, and a few years later, we got this call. Hi, it's Canada Post. We'd love you to design a stamp. Um and so, of course, we said yes. And the, and the process is like nothing else. The process is really interesting. So what they do is they commission uh, concepts from two or three studios. Okay. Uh, so it's not an unpaid pitch at all. It's a completely paid pitch. And you're commissioned uh, for stamp concept. Now, these concepts um, are uh, – sorry, the, the stamp topics are, are – come up by the Stamp Advisory Committee, Okay. Uh, the SAC. And the SAC is made up of kind of regular citizens. There's some designers, there's some scientists, there's some PR people. It's kind of a mishmash, uh, cross-section of, of Canadian uh, business and culture. Mm-hmm. And their job is to hear pitches from various organizations, understand anniversaries, and come up with uh, the topics for that year. So you are given, when when you're asked to do the work on a stamp, you're given the topic, and you're given a bit of background detail. It's not it's not a lot, and it's not very directional, but at least it's informational. And so, each each studio is given the same concept, right. the same topic. Yes, same, so, so, yeah, two or three studios will get um, International Year of the Forest. Okay. And they'll be given a background document that it's it was a new UN declaration of the International Year of Forest. This is what it stands for. These are the goals of the UN uh, proclamation. Mm-hmm. 
go. So everyone gets the same brief. They get the same brief. And you've got you've got some good time. You've got a couple months uh, to come up with concepts. As as I say, you're paid sort of a per concept uh, fee. So you're generally asked to give two or three concepts. Mm-hmm. And it's a flat rate for everyone. So everyone, it's, it's uh, even. And then once you steer those through, so we'll generally come up with four, five, six concepts that we're really excited about. Yeah. We might do comps. They might be sketches. Kind of just depends on the topic. We'll pitch those to the to the our stamp manager, and uh, she'll guide us through and narrow that field down to probably two from us. Okay. So there might be two from us, two from another studio, one from another studio, and it goes back to the stamp advisory committee, who then anonymously sees four or five iterations of a single idea, and picks uh, the one that they want to go forward with, and then that studio then gets the job to quote out. The whole project. So, okay, now that you've gotten it, um, they give us a a list of deliverables. There might be stamp. There might be booklets. There always are uh, what are called first day, uh, official first day covers. Mm -hmm. And they um, they are like envelopes that the stamps appear on. Okay. There's also a cancellation mark that you have to design. Um, So you're given kind of the scope of the deliverables. And then you quote that out and look for illustrators, photographers, whoever you're going to involve in this process. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because you're kind of thinking ahead when you're doing the original concepts. Of course, you're casting your mind ahead to, well, how would I pull this off if this wins? And and the stamp manager is very, obviously really hitting you up on that. Like, okay, you you comped something up, but how are you going to pull it off? Are you going to use a 3D illustrator? Or are you going mm-hmm. to use you know, a photographer, how is this going to work? Um, so there's a little bit of talk about production kind of at the beginning, but certainly once that project lands and you have to quote it all out, you have to start to think about all the ramifications of what that design is going to mean. Mm-hmm. Um, That's incredible. So yeah, <laughs> you weren't lying. Like I definitely... A, a process of winning work. It's nice that that's sort of you get paid to do those concepts yes. and those comps and works. That makes it a lot more attractive for the agencies that are you know putting that ex really that extra work and effort in. Yes. Um, and I like how you have a stamp manager that yes. you are connecting with within Canada Post, right? That's right. They have mm-hmm. uh, three, I think, at the moment uh, stamp managers who run a portfolio of stamps. Um, and each of them will work with the design firms. And as you move forward throughout the process, they're your, they're your hundred percent contact. Um, and when you need to, you know, you're working on something, uh, interesting that needs scientific verification, for instance, Mm -hmm. they'll be the one to go find a scientist to tell you that, yes, in fact, you did that right. (laughs) Or I, when I did international year of the forests, uh, I wanted to feature on the, uh, first day cover envelope. Um, the top 10 tree species in, in Canada. Yeah. Um, seemed like an easy question to me. I thought, you know, I'll, I'll just put them on the back there. But of course, it got into a very heated scientific debate about whether I was talking tonnage. Is it tonnage of trees? Wow. Or is it land mass uh, occupied by yeah. trees? Or is it the, yeah, it was, it was very, very amusing. But that kind of dialogue happens once you get into the projects. I can imagine because if you're basically a government agency putting this out there and this is content that you know you as a government agency are standing behind 
if any of that information is in, is inaccurate for whatever reason, like that could, would just, I guess, not look good. So they need to do their upfront homework and get scientists to verify and have experts yep. verify and all that kind of stuff. Makes sense. So Absolutely what, true. so what is the, the stamp project that you want to deep dive into? Cause I know you've done a few of them and I think if I'm right, we're going to, are we going to get into something about space? You bet we are. Oh, happy day. <laughs> so excited about yeah, this. So- okay. Yeah, how fantastic is it to come across your desk that uh, you, you get to work on the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11? So, and what I didn't know is that there was there were a lot of Canadian contributions to Apollo 11. Uh, James Chamberlain and Owen Mayard are the two uh, guys that we featured um, their stories. And and what was interesting that uh, of that time is Canada had a really really excellent airplane industry at the time with Avro Uh and we were busy working on one of the most famous planes there are the Avro Aero Um, and the whole program got cancelled and it's one of Canada's sort of big tragic stories of our our kind of ability to have an aerospace program Uh so it got cancelled and all these scientists basically were out of a job and NASA scooped them up Um, Maynard and Chamberlain were the guys who contributed the idea that you didn't need to land a solid rocket on the moon and then try to get it back off again after having depleted your fuel. They had this idea, what if there was a capsule and a lander and they kind of went together and then just the lander detached, a very, very lightweight piece detached, landed, came back up to the capsule and then took off again. They're the ones who came up with that central idea. Um, and so hearing that and knowing that this was a two-stamp piece, so sometimes a stamp issue is one, mm-hmm. five, this was two. And I just loved the idea of putting the capsule on or the, the module on one stamp and the lander on the other stamp. And <laughs> nice. as you take the two stamps, you can kind of dock and undock them. Right. Like it becomes an interactive thing. And that's something we've done a lot with our stamp projects is not only is the imagery strong, but we want there to be a smile in the mind. We want Mm -hmm. there to be a little trick, a little thing that you do with them. And so this was all about, yeah, the docking, undocking. And I wanted to play off of the one module goes to the moon and the other module goes, you know, back to Earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the, the basic concept was. Earth and command module on one stamp, uh, lunar module, which is the lander, and the moon on the other stamp. And then I would situate this on a sheet so that the space and the the rest of the Earth and the rest of the moon were kind of all on the sheet together. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I, I'm also a real fan of, of stamp concepts where the sheet that the stamp is on gives further context to the stamp. It shows yes. more of the scene. And what you're doing is you're just taking the stamp out of the scene. Yes. I always think that that's a really interesting way of uh, of making these projects work. Yeah, that's um, really cool because, again, you just have more, more real estate to tell that story and to create even more of an experience in your design. Exactly. And I and I so I really concentrated on on these two part these two pieces these two parts of the spacecraft now there weren't very high def cameras back in uh 19 uh what was that 60 19 sorry 69 yeah, yeah back in 1969 so 
certainly there were plenty of reference photos. There were reference photos from photos taken in space. There were reference photos from when the stuff was on the ground being built. Um, but we wanted like the full, how it would have actually looked had you been able to photograph that in space mm -hmm. with an HD camera. So we hired, um, a, uh, uh, 3d illustrator named Mark Zaba and his work is fantastic. He primarily does fantasy and, uh, sort of, you know, story art for, uh, you know, concept art for TV shows, for mm -hmm. books, um, so everything he does is in space and has nebulas and spacecraft coming out and it's, <laughs> it's like every kid's dream, right? It's like what, what we all should have been drawing all our lives. Yeah. This guy does it for real. Uh, and so for him, uh, it was, it was kind of a neat opportunity to do something that had to be dead accurate, mm -hmm. um, had to have every, so we had two scientists as our reference points and he would do the renderings and he was incredibly accurate. There were very few notes and it came back and one guy said an antenna was in the wrong place. Another guy said that the curve of the hatch door was a little bit too sharp. It should be more rounded, just little stuff like that. Um, but otherwise, because we had given him so much to go on, he was able to recreate these things uh, realistically. That's incredible. What a job that would be. It was beautiful. And, and he was working in, you know, uh, ridiculous megapixel land. And, uh, so these actually did get printed on the side of a van of one of the, uh, <laughs> cat of the post trucks, uh, really because they were so unbelievably beautiful illustrations, just them on their own were just beautiful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So what was interesting is because we had this idea, once we had the all the 3D art worked and all that done. We wanted a little bit more of the process and I wanted to hint at the contribution that the two scientists had. So we were able to unearth um, sketches and and uh, and plans for these various landers. Mm -hmm. um, there were several versions and, and uh, so we found some um, old sketchbooks of, of Maynard and some other scientists and we found sketches and so they kind of float in the empty space around the stamps. Mm -hmm. The stamps themselves have the two vehicles and then around them you see sketches and comps and, you know, uh, schematics. It's kind of a nice, a nice piece. <laughs> That's so cool. So did you have these actual notebooks like on hand? Like were you able to flip through them personally? No, we had to, it was, it was quite a process getting our hands on them. I had found them published in a book, Yeah. Um, but the book was written by the guy who was our, one of our two scientists that was helping us out. Nice. <laughs> so he literally wrote the book on it. Um, so I was able to get them from his publisher and get these high res scans that they'd already taken. And, yeah. and so you can imagine there was a lot of, um, uh, copyright to deal with. Yep. Um, so that's part of the stamp manager's hard work is really making sure that any assets that we find are, uh, are available for us, have been properly licensed, properly credited, um, and, uh, and are accurate. So we're not just yeah. pulling them off of, you know, websites here and there. Yeah, just a quick Google search. <laughs> yeah. Quick Google search. I found this drawing of a spaceship. I think it's great. <laughs> and we had to make sure it was Apollo 11, not Apollo 10. Yeah. And not the, you know, not the incorrect rockets. And, uh, yeah, it, that was, that was tricky because sometimes you'd find some great resources, but no, no indication of kind of what era it was. Yeah. So definitely not only did you need to find these resources, but you needed them to be vetted and factual. 
Yes. And so there's a process of, oh, these are great. These are perfect. I think these are right. Send it to the stamp manager. Nope. Sorry. Wrong. Can't use them. Back to yeah, the Yeah, that's board. exactly what it's like. Or they, or they can't find them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was able to find them, but they can't find a real source. I mean, just to take a journey to another stamp quickly that we did, it was the opposite of having enough resources. <laughs> the uh, We did the stamps for the rediscovery of the Franklin voyage ship up in the Arctic. Okay. Um, so the Franklin ships were uh, were just recently discovered and they, they were infamous for being lost at sea in the, in the high Arctic. Problem was there were no plans um, you know, back in, I think it was the 1700s, there were no plans for these boats. There was one kind of watercolor painting of, of the boat as it was leaving harbor. And there were plans for some similar boats. But we were having to illustrate this lost ship with really not enough. <laughs> Nothing. Uh, yeah. So we so what we ended up having is two experts. One was like a hobbyist model builder. And he was building a full-scale model wow. of the Franklin ship. And so he had been doing research for years and had all sorts of uh, kind of stuff in his uh, tool belt. And then we had another um, historian who knew things like, no, there should be 18 dolphin strikes on the front, not 12. And <laughs> no, that mast was behind that one. And so that one was uh, was amazingly complex. And there was a lot of disagreement sometimes between mm-hmm. the experts. So that one went a lot of rounds of tweaking. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. We were lucky with Apollo 11. With Apollo 11, we had modern data to yeah. go on. Um, so yeah, no, it's different for every stamp project for sure. So then once you've got these illustrations for the, you know, your, your high-res illustrations for this <laughs> Apollo 11 stamp, you then send those to the stamp manager they approve them they say yep thumbs up guys i'm gonna now submit these to the committee again for review or does it stop there it does stop there yeah they don't they don't give them back to the committee it's basically put in the hands of the stamp manager and and her superiors got it uh to see all the way through and shepherd and at this point we start talking about the printing okay we start talking about what are our kind of dreams and visions so with apollo um, there's a lot of gold on the uh, lunar lander, this gold mm-hmm. foil. So I knew I wanted to do some gold inks here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted the background to have a really, um, aquamarine indigo, deep, deep, deep blue that I knew CMYK would struggle to come up with. Mm-hmm. So I sort of was thinking in the back of my head, you know, that would be nice to do like a tip in of, of, of a spot blue that had a lot, a lot of brightness to it. <clears throat> And then I was thinking about varnishes. Um, certainly, it would be nice to varnish the spacecraft, but leave the space dull, so mm-hmm. that there's a real, a real dis- distance more between depth them. Even and contrast created. More depth, yeah. yeah. And and then what I was thinking about, because this is kind of where our heads go when we're thinking about effects. I thought, you know, the thing about these stamps is, is, is they're in space. They're in the dark. Like if I could get glowing inks, I, 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 I would want it. Yeah. Well, the next best thing to to glow in the dark inks is Canada Post always uses um, phosphorescent inks on uh, their stamps. Always, it's a security feature, kind yeah. of like money, mm-hmm. right? So there's a little border of phosphorescent ink, and it glows kind of a yellowy green color. Yeah. Um, so that was already going to happen. Um, 
So the question was, could I like use that or could I use it and a different phosphorescent ink? And so we found a phosphorescent ink that was blue in the way that it glowed. Nice. And so we added it to the moons on the piece and we add it to all the stars. So this extra level of if you're, you know, a, a collector and you really want to know more about the stamp, turn off your lights, get your black light <laughs> out, right? And every stamp collector will have a black light because they probably have their deep purple posters up on the wall too. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, and you just hold it up and everything starts to glow on the piece. Wow. So, yes, yeah, so if you think about it, it's CMYK, blue, gold, matte varnish, gloss varnish, two uh, phosphorescent inks. So when I'm thinking about this now on the <laughs> file level, you've got like this is all the separations in this file are highly complex. They are. And the good thing is, is we have a really good partner in the printer. So yeah. there's only three printers in Canada that are certified to print stamps. Yeah. Printing stamps is like printing money. It's actual currency. Mm -hmm. So they're bonded. They're high security. Um, you can't take pictures in the plants. You can't take samples with you. It's really, really high security stuff. And they have amazing either pre-press partners or pre-press departments. Yeah. And so when we get to this stage, this is where we start having the conversation and they're the ones who'll step in and do the really tricky stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, isolating every star and making it phosphorescent ink. I'm very happy to give that to uh, <laughs> the pre yes. department because that's a long day. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that's a long day looking at the stars. Yeah. So they're about the only client that we ever ship out RGB files. Um, wow. Cause they do all of it. We do all that. We always ship out CMYK for anyone else, but we ship them RGB because sometimes they might go hexachrome or sometimes they'll go four color, two spots, you know, to beef it up. And sometimes it's places that you wouldn't expect. We have conversations. They might do it for a skin tone or they mm -hmm. might do it for kind of something you didn't really have in mind. So it does get quite collaborative. Mm -hmm. And this is where the process gets really interesting. So we have these conversations and we throw out our ideas. We think this gold, this varnish, this whatever. Mm -hmm. The pre-press guys throw out their thoughts. They basically do a bunch of pre-press work and then they do what they call a, um, a wet trap. Okay. And it's basically a test print run. They, well, pre-COVID, <laughs> yeah. they fly us out to Ottawa and we go watch this be printed for the first time as a test. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is it's a press sheet with several different options. Oh, so, cool. Right? Some may have extra blue. They may have separated it differently. This one, they really pumped it up. This one, they put the phosphorescent inks. And you're looking at a press sheet of a bunch of different uh, tests all in one. Yeah. And then you sit in the boardroom and you start circling, okay, I want this from this, this from this one. This is the winner. Um, this got too dark on all of them. Can you please make sure we open up the stars they're filling in, yeah. you know, really, really nerdy detail like that. And everybody contributes the printers there, the pre-press is there, the stat managers there and the designers there. So you submit an RGB file and the pre-press team in collaboration with you creates 20 or more ideas of what it could be. Yeah, not quite 20, but 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 a, 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 handful. a handful of them. And then yeah. you guys look at them all on a sheet. Can you can you paint a picture for me 
of this facility? Like what kind of equipment are we talking about? Is it a little, a little digital thing that happens quickly or is this a, you know, a football no, field long? Are, yeah, these are, um, uh, I mean, they're about the biggest I've been to, uh, low Martin's one of them, uh, Canadian banknote is another, uh, color innovations is a third. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really know the guys at uh, low Martin very well in, in Ottawa. I've been to most of my press checks, all of my press checks actually with them, um, that I've gone to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a big, it's a big facility. It's, it's a little bigger than what we have in town, even though we have some very big guys, mm-hmm. it's a little bigger than that. Um, it's absolute state of the art, you know, uh, 12 color presses, 10 color presses, um, because they want to do all this stuff in line. They don't yeah. want to, can't, can't be yanking stamps back off and shoving through, you know, there's adhesive stocks that are weird. There's the gum stock, which is super weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so the presses are very tailored to do this work. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it is, it is several, it feels like you're in several football field long of, of, uh, of printing facility. And because it's so tight security, it just comes off a little differently, right? It's not the casual kind of saunter. It's chatting with the pressman. Hey, hey, hey guys. You know, yeah. I mean, they are great. They, yeah. we, we do chat and, and, uh, and everybody's a perfectionist, which is great. Um, so yeah, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big, um, it's a pretty big facility. Really, really mm-hmm. kitted out The I don't know the dot they use, but it's like, it's, it's ridiculous. Like the line screen that they must use on these stamps is almost imperceptible when you have a loop, mm-hmm. you're still struggling. They can do, you know, micro tagging, um, wow. micro printing. It's beautiful. So again, the, the quality of what you're getting is, is so amazing. Um, and as I say, there's only three printers in all of Canada that they work with. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. So again, you're going through this sheet with pre-press and with the whole team there, you're circling what you like, what you don't like, and then they go on for the final result or do they go through another test? Yeah. So what they do, uh, I only once or twice have they ever had to do a second test if something maybe really went sideways on the first one. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, they do the pre-press. We all go home. They do pre-press work for another couple of weeks. They might send PDF proofs just to make sure that we've done all the bits. Yep. Um, and then we would fly back and attend the final printing. Um, and it really is up to the designer to sign off on the work. Mm-hmm. So it's the designer's signature and okay that goes on the, sh- the final sheets when it comes off the press. And you have to sign like 11 different redundant copies because they all go in different docket bags. And, yep. and, uh, and it, it's quite the process. But what is amazing is that Canada Post has seen that by having the designer be ultimately responsible and putting their signature on the line for it mm-hmm. uh, is a better product for them. Yep. Uh, so now in COVID, this is changing temporarily. Um, the stamp managers are really doing the press checks on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may even be open to sending private packages. So do that test print courier to us and then we have to like destroy it. Yep. Uh, but uh, so things are definitely changing with COVID. Um, yeah. I imagine that's going to, you know, be throughout the industry. Yeah, um, definitely. But, but like no other project, are you able to test, select, perfect, and then print it again? <laughs> that's yeah. a, that's a luxurious place to be. <laughs> exactly. Right. It kind of eases your initial uh, initial angst or your initial nerves because you know you're going to do this testing and you get to see what these 
design decisions that you made are actually going to look like on a sheet. Yeah. Which gives you that little extra layer of comfort and security before going in and like, this is it. If you make any changes to this, it gets expensive. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very no, it's a cool. great process. And then, and then, you know, the amounts, the quantities that they print can be astronomical, right? So, you know, in this case, of course, we don't have the, the luxury to pick stock. Stock yep. is, is a predetermined thing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not uncommon for them to print a million up to 4 million of the stamp that you're working on. Yeah. Um, so it is, it is an amazing thing to, to see. And then to finally, when you, you know, we, we get those samples uh, yeah. at the end, it is quite exciting. That's cool. What a proofing process and a press check process. Like that's just, yeah. that's so cool that you get to do all of those steps and see all of those things. Yeah. Now when you're done the job and it's printed, do you as the designer get, do you get samples? Do you get something that you can frame and put on the wall? Like, what do you get? Yeah, we do. They're they're really good about sending us a pack of samples. And when it's uh, when it's a special release, so Apollo Eleven was quite a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they sent us a few framed, like actually already pre-framed um, sets. Very cool. Uh, so we got I think four pre-framed pictures, um, and in one of them, which I've never seen them do before, they actually took the two stamps, which probably together are only an inch by three inches yeah and they blew them up to about 18 inches tall and did a framed print of just the two stamps at this like 1000 percent size wow um and because they were so high res of course they look just unreal yeah Um, so, so we have those at the studio and then they send us usually a set of like 10 samples of each um and uh yeah we keep them lovingly all uh, archived and uh, we have some of them on display in the studio as well. That's super cool. So when yeah. they blew up those stamps into the massive size and framed them for you, did those go through the same print process with the same finishes and no, unfortunately okay. yeah, that, that one, it looked like they did like a gicle print. Yeah. Um, so, you know, although it's not all those effects because it was printed probably six or seven color from like an inkjet G clay or whatever. Yeah. Uh, it had all that depth. Um, the other thing that they print, they, they, uh, framed was the stamp pane, which was sort of the original real thing. And it's mm-hmm. framed as well. So I kind of like having both cause the, the, the framed real thing has the metallic inks and the varnishes yeah. and all that. So do you get to hang on to like the plates that were used to make this thing or some of that like designer nerdy kind of stuff no, that you'd love to oh, hang yeah, on to? That's a good point. That would probably, they probably have a, some crazy protocol for blowing those up at the end of the process. Oh yeah. Exactly. Incinerate, them. ensure that they're incinerated yeah. and the ashes are signed and sealed and put somewhere <laughs> or something. I think probably, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, we, the, the only thing that's sort of in insecure when we go to the press check is uh is of course they're running other jobs often yeah. and so we do get little sneak peeks of other projects on the go which is kind of fun to see um like, yeah oh look at that that's that new two dollar bill that they're running over there <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. i'll just take a stack of those <laughs> yeah exactly just samples just samples the make ready sheets that's right Awesome. Um, Matthew, that is incredible. And I've been in print for years and years of running presses and all of that. So elements of that story felt familiar, but Mm. the process leading up to it and the security involved and the abilities of printing such a small item, like the, the amount of detail 
and creative design spirit that you could put into this little thing. Just incredible. And it's probably a world that not many people have actually thought about of what goes into printing that little stamp. No, absolutely. It's, um, you know, the, the brilliance of it as well is that all our other work is really hard. You know, it's, it's like (laughs) it's packaging and consumer packaged goods and brand identities and it's research and, oh my gosh, it's, it's really, really hard from a, from a marketing point of view and from a branding point of view. Mm -hmm. This is a joy because it's, it's a brief about exciting collectors. Yes. Right. That's the brief. The brief is take this interesting topic and make sure it's interesting enough that collectors will buy it. And so it's pure design. It's, it's, it's kind of design all by itself with a little bit of art thrown in. Yeah. Um, So it's a really nice break from, from kind of the, the hard commercial work. Mm-hmm. You know, the, and, the is and, this going to sell more dog treats than this one? Absolutely. You know, that kind of thought. Yeah. Yeah. And in this case, we know that, you know, smart ideas, great ink effects, maybe little hidden things like glowing stars when you turn the lights out. Those all are things that the collectors are going to obsess over and, yeah. and love. Right. And uh, so, yeah, it's always great when we because these projects take about a year. Yeah. Uh, from start to finish, there's a lot wow. of steps, a lot of approvals to to be had. Um, we we just launched a stamp today. Today, yes. we just sorry, it's just a, when was that? That was today. Is this announcement today? Oh my gosh! Yes, this we, is a print design podcast original. It, it's a it's a yeah. You've got the scoop here first. <laughs> um, yeah. So today we just launched a stamp we do for Canada Post. That's for the Canada Post Community Foundation. And the community foundation raises extra money on top of the dollar amount of the stamp Mm -hmm. that goes towards various community initiatives, um, typically for children and youth. So what you do is you buy the stamp for its normal price plus 10 cents. Mm -hmm. And uh, they've they've raised incredible amount of funds over the years. And so the concept we came up with is just supposed to be a fun, it's supposed to allude to community and be something very shareable and very light and happy. And so our concept was just a little forest scene. It's a, it's an illustration forest scene of a bunch of animals, a deer, a bear, all kind of like communing together in a tree. Um, just sort of a happy, happy little community. I thought you were going to say they were like playing ice hockey amongst the trees with one another. (laughs) That should have happened. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I came in late with the idea. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Now you tell us. So let me, that's interesting. You know, the timing of that stamp during the process of this creation, you say it takes about a year. Yeah. Did you have this concept nailed down before COVID like went crazy or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was well, well, well done before then. Mm-hmm. Um, about when COVID hit was getting illustrations, getting illustrations, but we probably shipped files for this project uh, three months ago, mm-hmm. four months ago. So, so kind of at the beginning. So yeah. So it was the first press check that we did not go on. Mm-hmm. Um, we got we got sent proofs and all all that kind of that process. Yeah, man. So the next to be worked on is the Bonnie Henry stamp when everything settles down. No kidding. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, we have uh, you know we, we can never talk about ones that are of in course. the pipe because um, they want to keep them uh, confidential. But uh, I'm I've got one on the go right now that I'm wrapping up 
by the end of the year and then cool. it will go to press. Um, and we have about three or four in the concept pipe cool. uh, that are being reviewed next month at yep. next at the October stamp advisory committee meeting. Perfect. Uh, so hopefully we might uh, get a couple out of that. That's cool. So we always have a few kind of going on in different stages. That's cool. Such a fun part of design and creative. And I love the way you painted the picture that it, there's similarities between, you know, the branding and the different things that you guys do on a regular basis. But this is a lot closer to pure design and art. Create something incredible. And yeah. that's kind of the brief. Yeah, it, it really is. So it's quite it's quite the nice place for our brains to go to when they're uh, when they're exhausted from the other. <laughs> Absolutely. That is incredible. Um, I love that you shared that with us and, and really opened my eyes to what goes into something like that. It just brings this whole greater appreciation to sticking that thing on an envelope. Absolutely. You know, what's involved with it. Yeah. Um, so Matthew, I want to wrap up here with what I'm calling the ask the audience question, um, where I'm going to propose this question via Instagram to a group of graphic designers who are in various stages of print knowledge and print understanding and where they want to go with print design specifically. Um, it doesn't have to be print related, but what would you like to ask them? Uh, the thought that came into my head was just um, thinking forward, thinking to the future. Where's print going to go? Where's print? What does print have to do? And 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 what what are its strengths that can kind of let it live on? I'm very curious by that because I think uh, I think you know print print is dead was was foretold years ago. Um, it hasn't died and, but there are differences of it. And, uh, I'm very curious to see what people would, uh, would say is kind of the role of print in the future. Yeah. So what is the role of print in the future? Yeah. I love that question. That's great. Well, I'm going to ask that of the audience and Matt, you've reached the end of the ask it, uh, the print design podcast. Thank you so much for being my guest today, man. This has been awesome. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. All right. That is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening and hanging out here with us. What incredible insights into what goes into creating a stamp. Something as common as a stamp, the amount of design and process and print and production and creative energy that goes into planning and thinking and really executing well on one of those. Um, it's incredible. Just great. So, um, thank you for listening. If you're digging what you're hearing here on the print design podcast, please head over to Apple podcast and leave a rating and a review. I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon.